0: Pastor, thank you so much, and uh, you don't know how glad I am to be here. Everything was going so smoothly, and I don't want to bore you with all the details, but um, we got, if you've been in the Sydney traffic, and I was coming in from Penrith to the airport, and if you get near that tunnel, uh, you just really are on your knees praying, because you don't want to get stopped in the tunnel, you get asphyxiated, but um we zoomed right through the tunnel. Um, brother Kemper, and he sends his regards along with the family. He said, wow, this is a pretty good run. We made it in an hour. <laughs> and, uh, so we made it, but then um, things went pear-shaped after that. And uh, they said, oh, we're going to have a little delay here. They didn't tell us that the aircraft was unfit to fly, so they had to drag another one in from on the other side of the airport. And um, I'm looking at my watch and I'm thinking, well, we just might squeak in there if this pilot is a race car driver. <laughs> and I think he was. We came in over the lake and uh, we were just skimming the top. He had it right down real good, and Tim was there waiting for me, and we made it just for the first hymn. I'm so glad about that. And, hey? We are, too. Oh, no. <laughs> It's a blessing to, uh, to certainly be here with you for these meetings, and uh, I'm excited about what the Lord has laid on my heart for the messages, and for our time together. I have found a hiding place when sore distressed. Jesus, rock of ages, strong and true. And in a weary land I in his shadow rest. He is my strength in all that I do. Jesus, rock of ages, let me hide in thee. Jesus, rose of Sharon, sweet thou art to me. Lily of the valley, bright And morning star, he's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. My soul in its conflicts and sorrows would fly. So sinful, so weary. Thine, thine would I be. Thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee, hiding in thee, hiding in thee. Thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. What a place to hide, amen? Amen. Take your Bible, would you please? If you have not a Bible, please look on there with someone that does, and feel free to uh, move around. But turn to the Gospel of John, chapter one. Gospel of John, chapter one, and we're going to start reading over in verse thirty-five in the Gospel of John in chapter (coughs) one. Now my ear just popped a minute ago over here. I was hoping that it would because it was kind of out of balance. This one popped, that one didn't. I came walking in here like this, you know, and singing was a little bit strange. But it just popped, and so I should have my equilibrium, and I pray that things will go on from here. All right, you found your place in John's Gospel. Verse 35, again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, Thou shalt be called Caiaphas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith unto him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray together for a moment. Heavenly Father, as we bow and pray, we're mindful that when it comes to preaching the word and hearing it, we need thy aid and unction. Lord, I pray that you'll give us all ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say to us tonight. I pray that you'd give us the strength to apply it And to act upon it. I pray dear God that there be someone here tonight who knows not salvation. Deliverance from sin and darkness. Depravity, whatever. I pray that they would see Jesus, the savior of man. And seeing him, they could call upon him from a heart of sincerity and faith. And they could be born into the family of God by the Spirit of God, sealed unto the day of redemption. Now, Lord, I pray that you'll take this message, divide it severally as you will, move upon every heart, make everyone to hear, thus saith the Lord, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. I suppose I've told as many stories in this church as I've told anywhere. But maybe I haven't told you this one. I had an older brother. My older brother's name was Gary. And he was three and a half years older than I. And uh, so I had the second son syndrome. Always trying to live up to my older brother's um, achievements. And even some mischiefs. Uh, he had all the brains between the two of us. I was a skinny little runt at the time. I'm not so skinny anymore, but... Uh, I, um, I was interested in doing one better than my brother from time to time. Seemed like he was always finding the treasures, discovering the exciting things to do. Back in the 1800s, in the little village where I grew up, it was quite a large uh, resort for health reasons. People would come to the warm springs of Lebanon, New York, to uh, have medicinal help. And they built these large wooden hotels and motels up on the hill, just a stone's throw away from where we actually grew up. It all burned down by the time I came on the scene. And uh, there was a few uh, diggings going on up there, primarily just to, you know, have some record of what went on. We discovered a tip <coughs> Pardon me. We discovered a tip where there were these old bottles and they had markings on the bottom of them from the uh, companies and uh, different places that these bottles had come from. Some had made their way from Europe, some had made their way from Canada, some had made their way from Mexico, some had made their way to this place uh, where they were uh, disposed of in this particular tip after it had been used. Now, uh, people collect things like this, don't they? And uh, people look for uh, the real good ones. And uh, my brother and his two mates seem to always find the good ones. Glenn found the junk. And you get dirty in the process. Well, one day I went up to the tip, and uh, you had to scratch around because this thing had had years of layers put on the top of it. And, and I, I said, well, everybody's been digging over here. I think I'm going to walk over here a little ways and see what's over there. And so I took my little rake as I had, and I began to dig, and I heard clink. And so I got excited, and I said, just maybe, just maybe this one time, just one time, you know. And sure enough, there came out of that little clank a bottle. It's a a black bottle, and it was one of the prize choices of the collectors. And uh, this is how sometimes we even got our pocket money. We would dig in those, get those bottles, and we would uh, bring them down to the place where they would come and display them, and collectors would come and give you a couple of dollars at that time. Now it would be more like a couple of hundred. Wish I had them now. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you. Anyway, I got so excited. I could hardly contain myself. I mean, you know how you get excited and the pit of your stomach just starts to churn and carry on. And So I went, I grabbed the bottle by the neck, And I start running toward home. And it's about probably a a kilometer. And I'm running like a madman down through there. You know, boys can do this. Couldn't do it today, but I'm running like crazy. And I'm going, Gary, Gary, Gary. And my mother said, Gary's not here. What a disappointment. (laughs) I said, Ma, where is he? She said, he's down at David's. And uh, I said, okay, that's another kilometer. Boy, I took off again. I'm running like crazy. And sure enough, I get down there, and I went, Gary, look at what I got. I found the best one ever. Dave Kepp looked up, and he said, where did you find that? I said, I'm not telling. I said, I got this, and it's, it's my dig. It's nobody else's. Well, you know, I thought about that over the years. And I think about this passage of scripture. This is far and away so much different in some ways, but yet the illustration is good. You see, Jesus had already told his followers, or excuse me, John the Baptist had already told his followers that Jesus was the Lamb of God. Now these people were aware of who uh this would be the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb, the Paschal Lamb of God, to come and to be slain as a sacrifice for our sins. Now John the Baptist had been preaching the baptism of repentance, and he said, there's one greater than I whose shoe I'm not worthy to even loose. And later he said in John 3.30, he said, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. And so though we're... Th- Thousands and thousands of people following John the Baptist, and he was quite an individual. We don't have time, but uh, this fellow was uh, very much a supernaturally given uh, baby. He was very much a supernaturally guided preacher. He was very much a rough-and-tumble kind of fellow, my kind of hero. Amen. Amen? Amen. Well, anybody that eats locusts and honey and wears camel hair, you got to be pretty rough and tumble. Anyway, he points to Jesus in John one twenty nine, and again here, and he says, listen you guys, this man that you're looking upon is the Christ. The Christ, the sacrifice, the, the one God sent down to rescue us. This is Jesus. Now, uh, these two fellas are obviously more than curious. Uh, They're bent on following Jesus, and I don't think they followed him afar off like some detective, you know, some I spy guy looking around the corner to see where Jesus was going. I don't believe that for one moment. I believe that these fellas, as they had walked with John the Baptist, and he had told them, about the fact that God so loved the world, he's going to bring down the Savior to us. And John the Baptist was able to tell them what was going to take place and and all of the different things going that God had revealed to him. These fellows weren't following way back. They got right up close. Even like the woman who came in the press, remember? And she grabbed his garment. She, She didn't just touch it. That word in the Greek has to do with, cleaving onto the garment of Jesus. And he immediately knew that virtue had left him, gone out of him, and the woman was healed. Well, these fellas, they, uh, they're not following afar off. They get right up close, and, well, I'll tell you, I like to be close, don't you? If you know the Lord, if you've known him for any length of time whatsoever, you know it's better to be real close than to be dragging your feet to be far away. These fellas got up close enough and he turned and said, what seek ye? What are you looking for? Question to you and I tonight. What seek ye? I mean, life is short. It's like a vapor appears for a little time and then it vanisheth away. It's like a tale that's told when you're sitting around a fire and you're telling the hide, you know, different stories about whatever, and then all of a sudden the punchline hits you and it's over. It's like a ship. I remember years ago, Elia Minof was a man without a country up in Brisbane. He would go back and forth to Fiji on the boat. The captain had him as a slave because he had been. Uh, tumbled and uh, his identity had been stolen from him in some seaport he was from Yugoslavia originally and somehow Robert Meyer and others made contact with him and we would split time we'd go down whenever I was home living there in Brisbane we'd go down to the dock and we'd ask and beg the captain to let us take Ilya to church he was Christian sometimes the captain would say fine but have him back here no later than 2 o'clock. And so we got to love Elia Manolf, a man without a country. No identity. And finally, with some help of some Australian officials, they got him an identity card and a few other things, and he was able to eventually get off of that ship where he was treated like a slave. But you know, here... In this particular instance, Jesus said, what seek ye? Elia was seeking relief. Elia was seeking identity. Elia was seeking help. And I think that Jesus knew the heart of these men. Their hearts had been prepared to uh, follow him. I mean, they left John the Baptist. They didn't say anything. They didn't hesitate. They didn't uh, do anything, but they just said, All right, if this is he, we're going. It was more than curiosity. It was more than just a superficial desire. This came from God working in them, a supernatural conviction. And that's what God does to people today. God will convict people in many different ways. Cause them to say, I need to know the truth, that the truth might set me free. I need to know where I'm going when I die. And so these fellows got up close to the Lord. He turned and said, what seek ye? So it begs the question about you and I. What seek ye tonight? What are you looking for? Jesus says in answer to their statement, where do you dwell? Where dwellest thou? And I think that that's a curious question in some ways. It bears studying out, I think, more than what we oftentimes talk about, but I, I think they wanted to know if he still dwelt in heaven, came and go, come and go, you know. Jesus said, come and see where I dwell. So they went, and wherever it was, they didn't want to leave. And I'm going to tell you something, when I got saved years ago, I didn't want to leave the Christ who saved me. I had no desire to go back to the old life. I had no desire ever to go back to that old sin-cursed life. Jesus saved me, brought me close to him. And that's what he'll do for anybody. What seek ye? They said, where dwellest thou? Jesus said, come and see. They came, they saw that Jesus was dwelling on earth as the Son of Man. And he was here to seek and to save that which was lost, the Bible tells us. So... They spent the rest of the day close, beholding the Savior in all his wonder, all his beauty. How do you and I do that? By being in his word. That's how we do it. But they're right up close in person, beholding his wonder, his beauty, listening to the sweetest words that ever fell from lips. All grace and truth came by Jesus. And as they did this, this oozes and drips with enthusiasm because Jesus, the very Christ, is saying he come to seek and to save. And So Andrew is ready to pop. He's ready to burst. Just like me, when I found that bottle, I was I couldn't I couldn't believe my good fortune. Back in the unsaved days, I called it luck, but it's good fortune. I found this bottle, but the good fortune of these men surpasses that millions of fold, and I can just imagine the uh, the the excitement that Andrew had when he was listening to Christ about how. Heaven has been made and, and all of these different things that Christ would be revealing. And Andrew got so excited he was ready to burst and he went and found his brother. Just like I went to seek Gary. Again, a million fold different, but the idea. He went and found Simon Peter. And he saith unto him, think of this. We have found the Messiah. We have found him who's going to give himself for us. We have found him who has come down to forgive us of our sins. As I said, this this reeks and oozes of excitement on the part of this young man who is listening to Jesus and he's excited and he runs after his brother and he said we found the Messiah we finally are right near and close to him come and come and see and of course Simon Peter comes and Jesus says to him listen thou art Simon the son of Jonah thou shalt be called Caiaphas which is being interpreted as stone not A rock. A stone. That's important to remember. There are those who feel Peter is the foundation of the church. Not so. He's a stone. You don't build something on a stone, you build it on the rock. Amen. Enough said for now. But, anyway, Simon is now told something about his mission and following the Lord Jesus. Now, these two fellows grew up in Bethsaida. And it says the next day, Jesus was headed to Galilee. And uh, you can imagine the questions and the the answers and all the conversation and all of the, the wonderful frenzied fellowship that was going on. And I know what's taking place after this service. There's going to be a frenzied fellowship to get out there, get the picture done, and get in here and get the food. I know. I've been here before. I want you to know I'm still growing, <laughs> and I need sustenance. Be frenzied. I mean, this was, a, what? This was an absolute first. This is not uh, something second. This is an absolute first. And when we think about it, my, what a wonderful day it is when we find the Messiah as a personal Savior. Jesus is walking down to Galilee, and there's a fellow by the name of Philip. He says, he finds Philip, and saith unto him, follow me. Doesn't give us a whole lot of other uh, information about it. Just says, follow me. And Philip looks at his two friends, because they're from the same community. These guys probably played stickball together when they were kids. And uh, the, the ministry of John the Baptist was being heard and being... Uh, given around the place, and they, 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 once again, when Jesus appeared now, and all he said was, found, like he did with Matthew, Levi, to the seat of custom, remember that? They're walking on the promenade bound by the water, Levi's up there at the receipt of custom, taking the tariffs and taking the fares from all of the commerce. Important job. A job of great authority, a, gr- a job of great importance. Jesus simply looked up there and said, follow me. And this man jumped up from where he was, left all of the authority, left all the money, left it all, and said, it'll take care of itself. I'm going to go walk with Jesus. My, if we had some of that today, wouldn't the church be different? Anyway, we'll get on to that later, too. We've got a lot of ground to cover in the next three nights. But here, what I want you to see, folks, is... This is absolutely wonderful because the message of salvation is now right up close to them. And Philip, as he comes and follows the Lord Jesus, it says Philip goes to find Nathanael. Verse 45. Nathanael saith unto him, we, or excuse me, Philip findeth Nathanael and we found him of whom Moses In the law, and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth. They've identified the Messiah as Jesus of a certain place, born in Bethlehem in the district of Nazareth. And so what we see here is Nathaniel a bit skeptical. I find that in some people. I've been skeptical myself. A bit suspicious of just about everyone I run into. But, I, I, you know, I've I've mellowed an awful lot with the help of my good woman, my wife. She's my first and only wife, by the way. Amen, I like that. But, nevertheless, we see Nathaniel comes and he wants to see you ever have people say, if I could see it, I'd believe it? Uh, Yeah. If I could just see a miracle. If I could just see something that can't be explained in any other terms, then I'd believe. Well, I want you to know that you're looking at a walking, talking miracle right in front of you. Took a miraculous work of Almighty God to save me and anybody else that's saved here. You can say to these people that want to see a miracle, look at me. Miraculously born into the family of God. Didn't deserve it. Shouldn't have had it. Should have had the opposite. But God in mercy saved us. So we can say miraculous work has been done in our lives as we testify. Anyway, Nathaniel comes and uh, Jesus has already seen him. Isn't that Marvelous just like he's already seen all of us prior to our conversion. I find it interesting. Nathaniel comes and Jesus simply says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Talked about his outward profession. He was an Israelite indeed, but his inward was without guile. No subterfuge. No false agendas. Just a true blue dinky die type of fella. Not too many of them around anymore. But this fella was. He said, in whom is no guile. And that was obviously something that broke through this skepticism of Nathaniel. How do you know me? He said, how in the world would you know anything about me? Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him in verse 48, Before that Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, a specific location, not a generalization. How good is God? He knows exactly who you are and who I am. He knows right where we sit tonight, where we live, our uprisings and downsettings. God knows Jesus our Savior is aware of everyone and when he came he simply said an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile and Nathaniel said my goodness how did you know that he said not only that but he said I knew and saw you under the fig tree can I ask you after Adam and Eve sinned what did they cover themselves with? Oh it's interesting, isn't it? They became aware of their sin and nakedness, and they covered themselves with fig leaves. But here Nathaniel's covered up by a whole tree of fig leaves. I'm oftentimes reminded of when Jesus was going into town and he hungered, he took his hand and swept it through the fig leaves to try to find a fruit. And when he found no fruit, he cursed the tree, and the next morning it was withered and gone. Here, Nathaniel is taken back, because he would have been aware of not only traditions, but the teachings that had been going on. Nathaniel says, Rabbi, Master, Teacher, Thou art. Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And Jesus simply said, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou this? Thou shalt see greater. Now I want you to know, you could try to cover yourself up with thousands of fig leaves. That was the first thing that they grabbed to try to cover themselves before they met God in the garden after sin. You could try to cover yourself up with thousands of good works. Yeah. Well, I'll have you to know, preacher, I've been going to church since I was day one. Yeah, right. Sometimes by the eighth day, maybe. Mother feels strong enough to take you to church, but I've been going to church and Sunday school, man, I got all the pins and all the records and I won all the contests. I memorized more scripture than anybody else. And I've done it all. Hiding under some weak little fig leaf that Jesus sees right through. Fig leaves are transparent to the Lord. you know that? They're just transparent. You could maybe be hiding yourself under formalism, education, scholarship, Charity, philanthropic things. You could be trying to hide under any number of things. You might be the best upstanding, outstanding citizen in the community. You may even have your name in a bronze plaque up there in the middle of town. But all of that is nothing but filthy rags in the sight of Almighty God, the pure, holy God that demands blood be shed for our sins. Nathaniel is taken aback, no doubt about it. And he blurts out, thou art the son of God. You have to be. You have to be God come down in the flesh. You have to be the one that the prophets of old and Moses and others looked forward to. You have to be the one that would become flesh and dwelt among men. I think about how close we are to celebrating Christmas in 30 days or so. Most people think it's all tinsel and lovely. But on the night Jesus was born, it was cold and harsh. He came into the world, and the world was going to reject him. But he came anyway. Born of the virgin. Laid in the manger, lowly, lowly, lowly place, where the cows and the animals eat in the manger. Born so low he could save anybody at the lowest place in their life. Nathaniel says, "Thou art the king of Israel, and Jesus is, by the way, he is. He's a savior. He's also a king, high priest. He's lots of things, but most of all, in this particular sense here, he is the Messiah, sent from God to pay the price for humankind's sin and depravity with his own blood. For we're told, again, in the New Testament, we're not purchased with silver or gold or any precious substance but with the blood of a lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And, of course, 2,000 years ago, in reality, our Savior laid down willingly on that old rugged cross, let him hammer the spikes through his palms and through his ankles, and he could have called 10,000 angels and smote the world and got up and said, I'll start all over as a creator, but he didn't. And while they lifted that cross up to drop it into the hole in the ground which would jar every one of his joints out of joint, God the Father was laying upon him and making him actually become sin for us who knew no sin. That we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Talk about a birthday. Talk about a Savior that lived a sinless life. But praise God the story doesn't end. He defeated Satan's sin, hell, in a grave. And by the word of his power, the stone was rolled back and flung uphill where an angel sat upon it, exposing an empty tomb. For he rose again victorious. Of course, we know that he was readily available to be seen by over 500 witnesses. And then he ascended into the Father's presence, where he today sits at the Father's right hand, making intercession for sinners like me and you. Now he stood one time that we have record of, when they martyred Stephen, says, Stephen lifted his eyes toward heaven and saw Jesus standing. What a wonderful Savior that would do that. Honoring the death of one of his children. He stood. I think he is not just standing, but I think he's walking toward the threshold of heaven tonight. And I think at any moment, with the way things are in the church, not in the world, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. You look at what's being passed and legislated and all the different things that the world's economy is doing, government's doing, uh, don't get stuck on it. Think about what's going on in the church, little or nothing. Nothing. We're not only looking at an apostasy, a falling away of faith, but I say we're marching toward the end of the apostasy. And the great catching away is about to take place, and Jesus is moving away from the throne of God tonight, I believe, with all my heart, and just waiting for the Father to say, Step into the clouds and call him home. Are you ready for that? How close are you? These guys wanted to be close. They got close enough to get enthusiastic about their faith. They got close enough that everything about the whole of their life revolved around this wonderful truth that they were following the King of kings and Lord of lords who was their Savior. Would to God we could get under that dripping, amen? Would to God that we could have some of it not just fill and thrill us with the Lord Jesus, but some of it would outflow from us because there's people in Albright, Lavington, all around the traces here who need to hear, thus saith the Lord, Jesus saves, and only Jesus. Well, there's a lot more, but uh, suffice it for tonight. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you love him? He said that to Peter, didn't he? He said, Peter, lovest thou me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. A couple minutes later, he said, Peter, you you really love me? And I can just sense that Peter was getting just a little bit. Lord, I'm, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to lay down my... Peter, lovest thou me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep, he said. You love me, you get to work for me. You love me, you serve me, and I'll empower you to go into all the world. And today, the big question is in Christianity do we really love Him? Are we really surrendered to Him? Do we put him first? Does he have the preeminence in all things as God said he should? Where are we? Or do we love all the other stuff? And there's a lot of stuff out there, isn't there? I ask you tonight, are you sure you're saved? Because sometimes our activities display the fact that we may not know the Lord. Our activities in life, procrastinating, serving, putting off something God's called you to do. You know full well God's spoken to your heart about something and you you resist. Complain, Lord, it's too hard. And all the while, the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. He doesn't ask any of us to do anything he's not willing to help us to do. Oh, there's so much here. He said, Thou shalt see greater things than these. And, I, you know, I, I really wish the church internationally would wake up to itself that we might see greater things than what we have so far in this century. the Great revivals of the 1800s and those things, I mean, people were stirred. You say, Brother Glenn, do you believe revival could sweep the land? If God wills it. But I don't think the people of God wanted enough to be effectual and fervent prayer for it. Because it would only take one or two people. To get down on their face before God and say, Lord, we're not going to turn loose until you give us individually revival in our hearts. That we might serve you, live for you, and bring others to the Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the hour, for the time together. I'm so glad that I'm here, dear Lord, and I thank you that you worked it out answered prayer. Church up there was praying. Church here was praying. Lord, you had definitely answered so that we could be here in a timely way. So, Lord, I pray that the message will find good ground. The seed would uh, get down deep in our soul. And Lord, we could trust you more effectively in our lives that we could see great things for Jesus' sake. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's an invitation for you. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. I just simply invite you to consider him who endured such contradiction against himself, though he despised the shame, yet he looked forward to saving you and living his life out through you. Perhaps there's some decision that you need to make. Pastor, his wife, others are here more than happy to spend a few minutes with you in prayer. After the picture is taken and the frenzy is going on in there, grab one of them and bring them in here and say, Oh, I've got to get serious about this. I can't can't let my life pass me by without being obedient to the things God wants me to do. Pray about it. Go home and fortify your faith with the word of God and then step out in belief and do what he wants you to do and be what he wants you to be.